day, everyone. It's a beautiful day in the PsyQ community. Welcome to PsyQ Podcast. You are here with your podcast hosts, Dr. Zamika Simmons-Yan and Jackie Canning, where we will spill the tea on hot topics in psychiatry. That's right. Here on PsyQ Podcast, you will get the 10-minute lowdown on what's steaming in the world of psychiatry and mental health. We ask you to listen to the episodes, rate us, and review us. Better yet, share the Psyche Podcast with your friends, where we all can sip on the Psyche tea, and maybe have a side of lemon with it. I hope the Psyche community is filled with excitement, because we have a lot of tea to spill. Actually, as we move into the fall months, I'm excited about the variety of autumn flavors for my tea like pumpkin spice, ginger, and pear. Mmm, they just smell and taste so good. For all of you out there who love the crispier months of the year, we have some hot off the press tea to spill. I also have my colleague here, Annetta Fornal, who is a senior medical science liaison in Florida. I love when she pops in to get the tea. Thanks for joining us, Annetta. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yes. You know, it's it's really been good because we are continuing our discussion on suicide awareness and prevention. We are answering the call to be the one to share on active ways to prevent suicide. So, you know, September is not the only month we should raise awareness. This should be ongoing. So to help us out, we have a phenomenal guest to spill the tea and give us some insights on suicide prevention and Black Americans. And I mean this literally. She is an amazing woman of God, touching people across the mental health community and the faith community. Our guest, a special, special guest is none other than Dr. Sherry Malik. Dr. Malik is an associate professor in the Department of Psychological and Brain Sciences at the George Washington University in DC. Honorably, she is an expert with over 20 years of experience in research and providing prevention strategies for suicide risk among Black American communities. In addition, Dr. Malik is a founding pastor of the beloved Community Church in Maryland where her ministry focuses on family healing. I told you, she was anointed woman of God. Welcome, Dr. Malik, and thank you for taking the time to be with us. Thank you for having me, and my tea is going to be citron tea this morning. Ooh. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, we are ready to actually get the tea you're spilling, Dr. Malik. So can you start off? by telling us a little more about yourself and your areas of interest. Well, I've been, as you said, doing suicide prevention research in black communities, mostly with teens and young adults or emerging adults for over 25 years now. I became interested in this topic really, um, most of the time my clinical work informs my research and my research informs my clinical work. So I became interested in this topic because I was noticing that particularly amongst young people, they would be depressed or be anxious about something, would start having suicidal thoughts, and yet they were not going to seek mental health treatment. And I became really curious about what was that, and if they weren't going to seek treatment from a professional, 
who was a helper to them, who was someone that they could go and talk to. And so over the 25 years that I've been doing this research, I've been studying help-seeking behaviors in African-American youth, but also how we can um, design prevention programs in African-American churches, primarily because African-Americans go to church more than any other racial ethnic group in the United States. And their, their church membership is um, attendance is about 87%. We also know that um, black women go to church more than black men and black moms take their children to church. And so I thought having an intervention in a faith community would be great because um, what's different from a faith community than in a school system is there's no evaluative component, right? You're, there's no grades, there's no one writing a report about your behavior. <clears throat> and then churches kind of take all comers, right? But there's no such thing as being suspended or expelled from church. So, and also churches are very interested in youth and will do often do youth programs for kids in the community that don't necessarily aren't necessarily members of that church. So it's one of the few institutions that can provide a lot of support and a sense of social connectedness for young people, but do so in a way where there's no evaluation or no judgment. So Dr. Malak, I know that you have an interest in providing suicide prevention and intervention in the black community. So are the approaches or the strategies uh, of intervention different in the black community as compared to, let's say, a white community? That's a really good question. I do. I think there are a lot of similarities. So, for example, some of the risk factors are cut across all kinds of racial ethnic communities, including things like depression and a sense of hopelessness and helplessness and feeling isolated and alone and feeling like you don't belong. It's also sometimes feeling like you're a burden. What's different, though, is for one thing, um, suicide and just mental health in general is more stigmatized in the black community. And so black people are more, are more reluctant to go seek um, professional help. Um, black people also are more likely to use their clergy as a source of help. And once they go to clergy persons, they also are less likely to then go into treatment. So historically, the black church has been kind of one-stop shopping, I think. Um, historically, people got their social needs met there, their financial needs met there, their spiritual needs met there, and sometimes even their physical needs met there. And so as the world has become more complex, and as more and more African-Americans live uh, not necessarily in a segregated, um, in an enforced segregated community, then some of those natural support systems that were indigenous to the community um, have dissipated somewhat, particularly the sense of feeling connected to your neighbors. I know when I was growing up, I lived within about a two mile radius of my entire extended family. And so we never were alone. We never, I was telling my students that um, in my family, the older cousins babysat the younger cousins. We were not paid. <laughs> we just, it's kind of a rite of passage to be old enough to babysit. We were about 13. And um, my mom was mostly a stay-at-home mom, but when she wasn't home, I just walked to my aunt's house. So, and they, and you know, they always had food there, cookies. My aunt was a baker. So we never thought of, um, we were never alone. And the people were also watching out for us. So we re I remember just on my way home to school from school, if I was doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing, not only would my aunts call my mother, but my neighbors would call my mother. So there was a sense that there was a safety net in the community and people kind of watched out for each other. I think that's different now. The other big difference, I think, is that young African-Americans, well, all of us, but particularly young um, African-American men are much more likely to be subjugated to racial discrimination, racial profiling, 
We certainly have seen the highlighting of racial discrimination and racial injustice in the last couple of years, particularly with the, um, and unfortunately, fortunately and unfortunately with social media, you see these images over and over again of people being killed, for example, by the police. And so what that does, unfortunately, while it makes us more aware of the problem, it also watching those videos over and over again are traumatizing. And so we, our young people are more exposed to violence now. They're more exposed to um, traumatizing events and images, which I think is very different. And then the other difference for the black community is that because, as I said earlier, black people are more likely to go to church, a sense of spirituality is a really important component of our culture. And so even if you don't go to church, most black people believe in a higher power or spiritual being, and that can be a source of comfort and support for you. I'm so, I'm so glad that Annetta asked that question, and, and thank you for giving us some insight on maybe some of those differences. But I want to go back to what you just said with regards to interventions and things within the church. So, you know, I just have to ask, what is that intersection um, of faith communities and mental health communities when it when it comes to suicide prevention and intervention, can these communities actually join voices, you know, join forces and have an impact on on suicide? I think that there is a natural partnership that some people don't take advantage of between the faith community and the mental health community. And the reason for that is that both communities are concerned about the well-being of the person. Both people, both communities want people to be healed and both communities want people to be whole. So the issue sometimes is um, people think because we have different models of healing or different sometimes even understandings of what's going on, that we're in conflict, but we don't have to be. And so I tell my mental health colleagues that one of the best things we could do to prevent suicide is to partner with churches, not to go in and tell churches what to do, but to partner with them and, and to really respect their expertise, right? Because um, suicide crises can be spiritual crises as well. And we need to realize that when someone is feeling depressed, they may also feel forsaken by um, their higher power. And so if that's the case, this is a great opportunity for the two communities of, of helpers to come together. And I think the faith community needs to be more trusting of the mental health community. Some people are afraid that um, the communal health community will try to take your faith beliefs away from you. Or I've heard people say they're trying to take away my Jesus. Well, I'm like, no one can take away your Jesus, right? That's a personal relationship you have. And more and more mental health professionals are realizing that a religion is a source of support. And so it's not, we don't have to battle about whose way or whose metaphor, or whose model is going to be the best. They both can work really well for the wholeness of the person. So the mental health professional can sort of be in the mental health lane and the, the uh, clerical or the faith community can be in the, in the spirituality lane. We can come, those words can converge and come together. I like that whole sense of coming together, uh, the two communities coming together and providing uh, an amazing impact and, and showing that support. Thank you for that. Yeah, I was going to say that I I think the the proof that this can work is I do both, right? <laughs> so and I'm not the, I'm, I admit I'm not, a, my having a dual discipline is not super common, but it's not super rare either. And certainly we have lots of mental health professionals who attend church. And I've been involved in starting or developing, helping to co-found three mental health centers or services in churches over the last 20 years. And in each case, um, what we really needed the church to do is to give people permission to get help. 
And once the clergy person, particularly the pastor of the church says, you know what, this is something that we need in our community. It's okay. It's not, you're quote unquote, not crazy. Um, it's not a bad thing to do. It's not a portrayal of your faith. And also letting, giving people the permission to realize that everyone can get depressed, including people who are commun from communities of faith. That if you look at the biblical text, the Hebrew Bible and the Christian New Testament, there are lots of people in there who are depressed. I just did a sermon last week on Moses. And at one point, Moses gets depressed because he's overwhelmed by trying to judge all the people. And his um, father-in-law, uh, Jethro, comes and helps him and gives him advice. And so oftentimes, God will send people to help us out. And we need to be open to those um, sources of help. Wow, Dr. Moloch, you have really provided some great insight uh, today for our audience. So if our listeners would like to learn more about suicide prevention and intervention, sort of specifically in the Black community, where can they go to find more information? Well, first of all, they can definitely go to psyche.org where there's a lot of great information. And we recently did a webinar on, on uh, suicide in the Black community with myself and Dr. Jonathan Singer, who is a renowned uh, mental health professional and suicidologist as well, as well as a beloved colleague. He's a good friend of mine and someone whose work I really respect. And you can listen to that, um, that, that webinar. It's really informative. And there's resources listed um, on that webinar. But we also have the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention, ASFP.org, which also has good information. And the um, SPRC, the, the Suicide Prevention Resource Center, has a wealth of information for specifically, not just for black communities, but also for faith communities. So, um, and also the ASFP.org also has that information. So those are really good resources as well. You know, this has been so rich. Actually, I thought we was about to go to church when you started talking about Jethro, Dr. Malik. But no, it, it's it's been so rich and it is an honor to know your efforts in suicide prevention and also to hear your passion. I tell you, the tea was good today and Dr. Malik spilled it. As I've stated previously, you know, suicide awareness and prevention moves me in a very sentimental way. And it's even deeper when we are intentional about our efforts in underserved populations. So Dr. Malik, your professional and personal passion illuminates our hearts and makes us think creatively and deeper about preventing suicide. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope that this gets this word gets out because we can make a difference if we do it intentionally and on purpose. Intent and purpose. I love it. Intent and purpose. And to our listeners out there, don't forget to check out the show notes for the link to the full Psyche webinar on suicide in Black Americans featuring Drs. Shuri Malik and Jonathan Singer, who are trailblazers in suicide prevention and intervention. So there you have it. You've heard it for yourself right here on the Psyche Community Podcast. But you don't have to stop here. Definitely check out the show notes for the links to find more resources on today's discussion on psyche.org. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more hot topics right here on the Psyche Community Podcast, please rate and review us. And please subscribe so you always get the new episode whenever it drops. Also, check out our other social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. So until next time, thank you for listening, everyone, and have a great day.